Hey Bulls Nation, welcome back to another episode of the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm your host Matt Gentile and it feels pretty good to be a Bulls fan right now because the Chicago Bulls are picking number four in this year's NBA draft. Yes, the draft lottery just wrapped up. I'm, I'm recording this literally minutes after it, it just went down here and the Chicago Bulls, they're not going to be picking number seven. I mean, I've gotten so used to it. The last three years, the Chicago Bulls had the number seven pick. And this year, they were slotted to be somewhere within that seven, eight, nine range. And here they are. They ended up moving up. I guess when you change some things up, you get new leadership, have a new coach on the way, good things happen. So, you know, my heart was racing there when they they jumped up into the top four. I was hoping that they could get, you know, number one or number two. But, you know, it is what it is mathematically it was a long shot so I can't be that upset I'll I'll happily take number four with new leadership here to to basically leave their their stamp on this draft now there's a couple of things the Chicago Bulls can do they can stand pat of course right there at number four they could maybe do some moving around it really depends this is a, a an odd draft um the way that's been described is that it's not a very deep draft it's a it's more of a top heavy draft and and I'm glad that we're going to have Michael Walton on today from Bulls Confidential because I want to get some insight who are some of the players that could be there at number four for the Chicago Bulls if they decide to stay there Um, is this a draft that's really a two-horse draft is it James Wiseman and LaMelo Ball and should the Chicago Bulls maybe look to the Golden State Warriors sitting there at number two to maybe make a move I don't know. There's a lot of possibilities, and I'm kind of curious, um, you know, what Michael thinks. If if you haven't read his stuff, go check it out. He does a great job of breaking down potential draft prospects for not just the Bulls, but the whole NBA. We'll also ask him, though, if he thinks it's worth kind of just sitting there and, and seeing what kind of players could be available. Um, my, my strong suit is the NBA. I'm not a, an avid college basketball fan. I'm, I'm more casual, and I don't follow all the European prospects. So I think Michael's going to be the perfect person to talk to about who could be available at number four, or you know, if it's worth kind of wheeling and dealing, or maybe even moving down. There's a lot of a lot of angles you can take in a draft. So to to recap the draft order, the Timberwolves will be picking number one, Warriors number two. And, of course, the Warriors had a rough year because Klay Thompson was out with the ACL injury. Steph Curry went down with the, the wrist injury there. So the cupboard was a little bare, too, after you know Kevin Durant left. So they have an opportunity to either stand pat and get a rookie or use that as trade bait. And it sounded like, according to Adrian Wojnarowski on the, on the broadcast of the lottery, it sounds like they want to use that as bait to get a more veteran established player so that might be something interesting to keep your eye on because is there something that the Chicago Bulls could potentially do to get up to number two I don't know I don't know because you're kind of hearing that Wiseman and LaMelo Ball it seems like are the are the consensus one and one a in this draft and everybody else is just sort of another guy um, but who knows? You know, we're assuming this based off of the projections. You don't know how these guys' careers are going to shape out, and maybe these other players in this draft are a lot better than we think. There's there's always surprises in the NBA draft. So 
you know, I don't want to get too down on it either. Um, it's it's not considered a deep draft, but you never know. There might be some gems. And like I said, that's why I'm bringing Michael in to talk about. So let's bring him on now. Joining me over the phone is Michael Walton from Bulls Confidential. Michael, how are you? Thanks for coming back on. I'm doing great, and thank you so much for having me back on. It's honestly excellent to be back, and I, uh, my adrenaline is pumping. The draft lottery just went down, and feeling pretty good about it. I actually want to know what was your, your initial thought, because I feel like, at least for me, I've, I've been wired to always think, okay, it, it's going to be the number seven pick. So being at number four was actually a pretty decent surprise, and it felt kind of nice to know we're going to have a top pick this year. Yeah, honestly, as soon as I believe it was the Knicks, as soon as the Knicks got their number called, uh, I think my roommate and I both freaked out and, and jumped out of our seats because, you know, at that point we knew obviously that luck had finally uh, shined on the Bulls there. So I think as soon as the Knicks were called, that's when I was like, oh my God, this is actually happening. I know. And, and you know what was really crazy too? I felt like the broadcast, like they were talking up the whole fact of that, whoa, if the Knicks get the number one pick, if the Knicks get the number one pick, like the Knicks had, they didn't have that great of a chance of getting the number one pick anyway, but it's like everyone's hot and heavy on, on New York right now. And of course with ESPN, you always know that East Coast bias, it always seems like the Knicks are the most deserving of the top pick, regardless of what happened the previous season. So if anything, there are teams like the Bulls and to a lesser extent, the Charlotte Hornets of the world who have been trying to be competitive despite, despite not being great teams. So yeah, those are definitely the teams where I would say they deserve to be number one, but ESPN loves pushing that big Apple narrative. So you know how that goes. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely felt that way. So a lot's been made about LaMelo Ball and James Wiseman being the best two players in this draft. So let's assume they both go number one, number two. Give me a couple of names that you think could be on the Bulls' radar at number four. Yeah, so uh, assuming things work out, uh, like you said there, and, you know, this is kind of, I, I hate calling any draft a crapshoot because it's not. So I'll just say in this draft, you know, it's the weaker class overall. So you can really hit on a guy who might be the best player in the class, really, I think, anywhere in the lottery and uh, potentially anywhere in the first round, uh, depending on who slips there. But, uh, if you said that was LaMelo Ball and James Wiseman, who you were saying in your scenario will be going top two, correct? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so for the Bulls at four, at that pick, uh, I think I'm looking at, honestly, just a few guards because I think a playmaking guard is still the biggest issue. I think Kobe White is excellent, and I want him on the team long term, but I just think ultimately he's a player who you're going to have settle into being an excellent six-man who can really light it up off the bench. So. Uh, for the Bulls at number four, if I have that pick, I think today I would most likely take uh, Killian Hayes, uh, mm. and that's the point guard, the international point guard there. Who he's six five, you know, some really great playmaking skills. Uh, based off of my draft board, you know, he'd be a great value. Uh, he's perhaps the best pick and roll passer in the draft. Um, I think pretty much, you know, he's very physical for being, you know, so young. I think the only knock. I've really seen on him these days is he's very left-hand dominant. Uh, pretty much when you look at highlights, you'll almost only see him finish with the left. And that concerns some people, but just the way the game is today, there's a lot of players who you see who are sort of dominant to one side of the rim, and you're just going to angle your pick and roll most of the time that way. And, of course, teams will try to take away that left hand, but as we see with James Harden, if teams try to overplay you to take away one specific side, 
it obviously is going to open up a lot for the rest of the offense. So uh, for the Bulls at number four, the top three names I would throw out there, I would say Killian Hayes, uh, Tyrese Maxey. I'm hmm. a lot higher on Maxey than most, uh, than most, I would say, at least most mainstream draft critics. So he's not a player I think you're going to say CESPN or anyone saying is worthy of a top five pick. But Tyrese Maxey is an excellent guard. He's maybe about the same size as Kobe White, about 6'3 or so. Uh, but his wingspan is six foot six, so he's got some long arms there. And the biggest thing about Tyrese Maxey is he played at Kentucky, where I'm not sure how big of a college basketball guy you were, but Kentucky basically started three point guards uh, last season. And it was a really fast, defensive-minded guy named Ashton Hagens, a really good shooter who's more of a combo guard uh, named Emmanuel Quickly, who I believe was SEC, maybe conference player of the year. The point being, there were basically three guards starting. So Tyrese Maxey was almost playing the two or the three. And when you look at the fact that he was able to score and play make so much, uh, despite the fact that he basically played out of position for a full season, I think that bodes well for his NBA career because you put him into a position with NBA floor spacing and shooting. And I think you're going to see him really, really flourish as a slasher. Uh, and then really quickly, the third name, uh, I would say Tyrese Halliburton, the point guard out of Iowa State. Uh, I think at number four, it would be a little bit of a reach. Um, on my draft board, he is six, but I would try to like move down a little bit just because, again, I have him so high just because this is a pretty weak class, and I think playmaking guards are immensely valuable. But if I was the Bulls, I would look at Killian Hayes, Tyrese Maxey, or Tyrese Halliburton to make sure you get a guard who's really going to be able to be that, that playmaker of the future. You know, another name that we keep hearing about, and, I, and this is more of the, I think, some of the larger mock drafts that you see out there you keep hearing the name Obi Toppin from Dayton is that somebody you think might be interesting at number four is that a bit of a reach at that spot yeah so it's really weird so uh the last guy I didn't say much on him my name was Tyrese Halliburton because he's an Iowa State guard who I think is the best overall passer in the draft besides LaMelo Ball he can make any pass and absolutely dominate it with an assist percentage well in the high 30s so Halliburton fits exactly what the Bulls need in terms of a guy who can pass and make players like Lowry Markinen and Wendell threats because he can get them open. And I mentioned him really quickly because that's why I find the idea of the Bulls drafting Obi Toppin uh, so peculiar. Um, yeah. My roommate and I both, we jumped out of our seats the second time when ESPN had their mock draft proje projections, uh, excuse me, right after the lottery, and they predicted the Bulls taking Obi Toppin at four. That doesn't make uh, really any sense to me. So first things first, uh, I personally, I have Obi Toppin 10 on my board. So hmm. I do think he's worthy of a top 10 pick. So it's not crazy, uh, but I do think that would be a reach to, to take him uh, top five because I think Toppin's going to be an offensive-minded player. Uh, and he doesn't really, to me, project to be a player who's going to be even an average defender at the NBA level. I could be very wrong about that because he's very athletic. He can definitely block shots if he sets his mind to it. But right now, when I watched Obi Toppin uh, last season, the main thing I saw is he plays kind of stiff. He's kind of upright. He's a very upper body dominant player if you look at his build. And so I think he has trouble moving laterally already guarding the pick and roll. And when you talk about NBA athletes, as we're seeing with Damian Lillard right now in the playoffs, if you don't have bigs who can provide a little bit of pressure – on those guards who can pull up from deep and, and move side to side, you're going to get beat off the dribble time and time again by pick and roll. So I think Obi Toppin, you're going to have to scheme your defense a lot to help him out. 
And so for the Bulls right now, I don't think that would make sense because, you know, they don't really need a scoring power forward. When you look at the roster, uh, Lowry mm-hmm. Markinen obviously is the player you would consider the franchise power forward. And then Wendell Carter is a player who I've talked often about, one of my favorite players on the team, but he is undersized for a center and could honestly use more minutes uh, at the four, backing up Lowry even to, to play some lineups with Gafford. So if you add Obi Toppin, it really just creates a number of big issues for the Bulls. And I think the biggest one I forgot to mention there is just obviously Thad Young was already upset last season with his playing time behind Lowry, who also saw a dip in playing time with players like Cornette and, and new players coming in. So if you add Obi Toppin to that mix, I think you're pretty much signaling to the roster that a trade is coming because you can't find minutes for all of those players because he isn't a player you can play at small forward. Obi Toppin in the NBA is going to be a four or a five. So it it really just wouldn't make sense with Thad Young, Lowry, Wendell, and Gafford being major pieces on the team. And I didn't even mention Luke Cornett, who, again, the Bulls just recently signed. So I think that would just be too much of a log jam. Of the names that you brought up, they're all – you know, ball dominant guys, they're all they're all point guards or, or some form of a combo guard. The name that intrigues me the most on that list that you brought with, up was Killian Hayes. With Killian Hayes, if if that is the pick, let's say at number four, what do you think happens with Kobe White? Is he relegated to somebody who's a playing combo guard off the bench? Or you think that's somebody that you might look to move if you're bringing in another another potential point guard to to take those starting minutes? Yeah, so the reason I like the pick of Killian Hayes so much is pretty much the same reason I would be happy uh, with with any of the guys I named, which is for the Bulls, you know, getting a playmaking guard is excellent. But just because of the nature of today's game, it would obviously be excellent if that guy could also have a little bit of size to him. So Hayes, again, I believe, comes in at about 6'4", 6'5", and has a pretty good wingspan there, nothing exceptional, but... The point being, he's a big and physical kid. He has a good pedigree because his father was a college basketball player. And I think, again, we've seen with these players that start playing overseas at a young age, they just have a little bit more advanced grasp, I would say, in terms of next-level reads when you're talking about running a pick-and-roll and hitting the shooter in the corner right away because the weak side defender is drawing in and, you know, that sort of basic. But even stuff beyond that, you just see those players grasp that a little bit faster because when you're playing overseas, you really have to earn those minutes. So something else we know is from day one, Killian Hayes is going to compete on the defensive end of the floor. So all of that is to say, I think he can easily play with Kobe White. And I think Mm -hmm. what you would want to look at there is you would probably want to start Hayes just because, you know, this is going to be a franchise guy. You want him to hit the ground running and get used to being next to Levine. But... Excuse me. I think you would want to start Hayes and you would ultimately want to bring Kobe White off the bench as a sixth man for whenever Levine needs a breather. Because Mm -hmm. we saw Kobe White last year when he got hot, you pretty much were getting the same thing you were getting from Zach Levine in terms of the ability to hit a three from, you know, anywhere pretty much past half court. And then that three point shooting ability really made defenses get on their heels and then opened up his ability to drive to the basket. And of course, Kobe White, you know, kind of short arms for his position. So he wasn't the best at finishing at the rim. He honestly was awful at the start of his rookie season. And then we saw him get a lot better as the year went on. And then, you know, unfortunately, when the league stopped, Kobe White was in his best stretch of the season, lighting Mm -hmm. up teams nightly, I believe, for somewhere around 24 points a game, which is, you know, obviously what you would be hoping for Kobe White as his peak there. So 
I think you could easily play Kobe White as just your backup two guard. And I think with a new head coach, obviously, um, you'll finally have that head coach admit that, you know, Kobe's a combo guard. He's not a point guard. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I know it'll be backtracking for Kobe because there was so much about, you know, I am a point guard last season because he was a rookie trying to make his name and get minutes. But the thing is now with this new coach, you know, we can explain to Kobe, there's no need for him to be a point guard to get playing time. He really impressed and surprised me on the defensive end of the floor last year and was much better than I expected. And because of how inefficient rookies are, you know, his defense was really his, his strong suit last season. So I think you play Kobe with a guy like Killian Hayes and they're two guards that are both in that, you know, anywhere from 6'3 to 6'5. If you can play guards like that together, I think it can work in today's league because you have so many teams built like Portland or teams where just the two guard is strictly a spot up shooter and not a ball handler. So depending on the matchups, I'm not as worried about Kobe being a backup two guard. So I very much think there's still a future for him in Chicago if you draft a guard. The players who I think obviously you would see suffer in terms of playing time is I think Ryan Archie Diacono uh, would probably just get no playing time at all. And then Shaq Harrison, unfortunately, would either get no playing time or, or maybe be a roster cut. But I think Shaq and Archie are the two players who would suffer there. But I think Kobe would be fine. I'm not going to lose sleep over Archie and Shaq losing their minutes. So I'm sorry. I just can't. <laughs> um, but I mean, Archie, I wanna... Archie, it's okay. But Shaq, I'll admit, I'd be a little sad because uh, shout out to Mark Stropman. Uh, who used to work at NBC Sports Chicago. We love us some Shaq Harrison, and it really got fun to track how many deflections that guy gets tonight because he can hustle. So I wouldn't lose mm-hmm. sleep over it, but yeah, it'd be a little thing. So, you know, I mentioned earlier that it seems like the consensus among a lot of the national mock drafts is that the 1-1A one one seem to be LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman. Do you agree with that, or do you kind of have a different look at, at who's number one, number two, uh, in terms of the top players in this draft? Oh, yeah, I absolutely disagree. And uh, to, to be honest, I may uh, be being swayed a little bit by what people like to call draft Twitter. Um, but just pretty much, you know, I, I look at everyone's sort of draft ideas here, whether it's ESPN, you know, Draft Express, or whoever's out there, or whether it's just people on Twitter, you know, we have lots of analytics guys who do great, excellent work in deep dives. But basically, LaMelo Ball, I have number one on my personal big board. And I think, like you said, you know, many people agree LaMelo is the top prospect or at least one of the top prospects. Uh, For Wiseman, I could be being harsh, but I think it's just because the extreme lack of experience. You know, I watched the games he played in Memphis, which really didn't matter because they were against such low levels of competition. And I've looked at his high school games. With Wiseman, the potential is there. He may have the highest ceiling in the draft because of his incredible size. And I actually think he's going to be an excellent defensive player, uh, rim protector, and you know potentially defensive player of the year candidate one day at his peak. But my issue with Wiseman is on offense, I really just don't see it. And so for me, I actually have him eight on my big board. Um, oh. And I'm not sure if that's you know like the lowest that anyone has him. I doubt it because a lot of people are – critical of him where he's you know like even 14 I've seen some places but I would say he should still be a top 10 pick off of talent and measurables alone uh but I have him at eight just because the player I always like to bring up when I talk about James Wiseman is USC big uh Onyeka Okungu and excuse me if I butchered that pronunciation but basically Okungu is 
kind of undersized for a center, but he is an incredible shot blocker. And I think, in my opinion, he's the best pick-and-roll defending big in this draft. So you're not really worried about undersized centers, I don't think, as much in today's league with someone who's 6'9 or 6'10 if they have the wingspan and the athleticism. And I think if you're weighing a player like uh, Akungu and Wiseman, who I have you know, on Yeka at 7 and then Wiseman at 8, I think I would take the potential lower ceiling with a Kongwu to get mm. that higher floor just because I know from day one a Kongwu can sort of move side to side laterally. He's a great shot blocker. And in pick and roll defense, he would be excellent on a team, let's say like Golden State. Uh, you know, mm. moving down and getting a player like him would really be great because with him and Draymond Green, that would be a lockdown defensive front court, even though he's a rookie, he's that good of a shot blocker. Um with Wiseman you may get that same thing, but I don't think you're going to see as much from Wiseman in terms of shot blocking just because he's really going to be adjusting to the speed of the game, the rotations, just really even getting in shape because, again, he didn't play. He basically missed an entire season of basketball uh, with the unfortunate situation at Memphis, whereas, you know, I was able to watch Okungu over a full season with USC really dominate and, and make his name into a household name where ESPN was talking about him to where there wasn't a lot of buzz uh, about him sort of early on in the season. And uh, random fun fact about him, he actually did play with LaMelo Ball at Chino Hills in high school. Mm. Um, <laughs> that doesn't really weigh on anything, but it's just more to point out that the guy's been playing high-level basketball against high competition for a while, but he just kind of crept up on everybody with his defensive ability this year. So I'm a lot lower than Wiseman on most, and the reason is I just think he's too raw. Um, I don't see it in terms of a jump shot yet, and right now in offense, I think he's strictly going to be an offensive rebound guy uh, just because when it comes into the pick and roll, he's an excellent finisher, but he's going to need to go to a team with a great point guard. And as we know, with teams picking high up in the lottery, it's not usually a guarantee that you're going to be playing with a great point guard. So I think he's going to really struggle to make a name for himself on offense, but defensively he'll be good. And I don't like comparing players at all because, you know, everyone is obviously unique in their own way, but just the a reason I don't like Wiseman is he reminds me a lot of Andre Drummond. And I just mm-hmm. remember coming into the draft how high I was on Drummond, thinking he's going to be the next coming of Shaq because young kids, super athletic, big measurables. And then he got into the league and I just saw, you know, he was still learning so much about the game of basketball. But, you know, as we know, it was years well, before we saw Drummond really turn into a, a dominant player, at least on offense. So, so what you're saying is you've just been burned by Andre Drummond and you don't want to go down that path again? Is that really what this is about? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's basically about that, but I think it's more uh, – and I forgot who I'm sort of stealing this from, but I guess everyone says it in a way. But just every draft, you know, you look back on predictions you've made and how you felt, and you always take, obviously, bigger lessons from your, your misses there. And I think something I learned with Drummond and players like him is, you know, it's kind of obvious, but if you just put so much into the measurables and don't think about something as simple as just the experience, how long have they been playing? What did they look like when you see, when you saw them on the floor? Um, You know, if you just put too much into the measurables, you'll end up burning yourself more often than not. So, you know, I'm okay missing on Wiseman. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, I'm okay missing on Wiseman if it means, you know, I'm taking a big who I know can at least be, you know, a good starter one day just because Wiseman could be the best big in the league or he could end up being a player who needs, you know, 
eight years to really grasp pro basketball just because he's so, you know, still fresh to the game, I guess, so to speak. So this is one of the reasons, and by the way, Michael Walton joining us from Bulls Confidential here on the, on the phone. This is one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on was to, to get more of this in-depth breakdown. I am by no means a major college basketball fan. I'm, I'm much more casual. So I'm always just paying attention to a lot of the mocks. And I think like a lot of Bulls fans, I kind of, they're looking at just the national mock drafts. So for you, if it's not Wiseman, I guess if, if LaMelo is consensus number one, who's number two in your mind? Uh, if, LaMelo, if LaMelo is consensus number one, um, I think number two, and I mean, it, it, he is number two on my personal big board, uh, but I'd have to go Anthony Edwards from Georgia. Mm. And he was a player, actually it's weird, so I feel like as a player, the way he plays, you know, what I saw from him, how he'll project to the NBA, I personally am not that crazy about him, but I still had to put him in number two. And that's just based off of in this class, pretty much. Uh, he has a mixture of sort of what I was talking about there, which is he has the obvious measurables and athleticism, but I've watched Georgia, you know, quite a bit last year and his shot making ability when he was on was incredible. And he looks like a player who easily could be a great three point shooter. Um, I think at Georgia, you know, you saw the percentages were down just because, like, any top prospect uh, sort of entering college basketball trying to make a name for himself, especially on a bad team, uh, they're going to take too many shots. And so you saw Edwards take some shots that are an incredible high degree of difficulty, and so that brought down the numbers a lot. But I think Edwards is going to be a dynamite player on offense, and then because he's such a physical you know, stocky player for really a guy who's a two guard, I think he may be able to give you some really good minutes of small forward as well, just because again, the way the league is today. So I would have him at number two, just based off of the fact that one, his athleticism is, you know, out of this world. And then two, I think he brings you some positional versatility. He's not really a playmaker, but again, because of the way the game is today and the fact that he's a great ball handler, um, you can play him probably at, you know, one through three. You can play him point guard, shooting guard, small four, depending on the lineup. As long as you have him out there with some other guys who can pass a little bit, I think he would be a great pick for really any team in the league. So, you know, the the Warriors are kind of a wild card in this order. And again, as I as I said at the top of the, the podcast here, we have the Timberwolves at number one, Warriors at number two, Hornets at three, Bulls at four, Cavs at five. So, if one of these guys falls, let's say it's it's either LaMelo or Edwards falls, and they're available at number four, um, I mean, which one would you like to see potentially fall and, and be in a position where the Bulls could, could get him? I feel like I know based on our conversation here, but I'm, I just want to get your thoughts on that. Uh, I think, yeah, like you said, based off of uh, what we said there, you would know that my answer there would definitely be LaMelo Ball. Uh, but... Really, uh, just another player uh, I wasn't sure if I mentioned. You know, Isaac Okoro isn't really top five or, you know, top seven even, I don't think, on a ton of big boards. But he's a small forward out of Auburn who's an extremely physically strong player. And so he's someone who I think is going to be able to give great minutes at the three or the four. And while the percentages on his three-point shot weren't great, uh, physically the form looked fine. So Okoro is a guy I would look at also, or potentially if the Bulls are moving down a little bit, I would think of. But as you said, if the top guys are falling, it's without a doubt uh, LaMelo Ball. And the reason is simple. I think he's the best playmaker in the draft. I think his situation, sort of how he got to playing in the NBL, 
sort of made him better. Uh, he went through such a weird path, you know, playing, I believe, in Lithuania for sort of, you know, uh, what felt like a sham just because the competition was bad. And obviously, LeVar Ball was sort of organizing everything. But when he went to the NBL, you know, we saw him actually earn his minutes. You know, he fought on switches against bigs, which gives me hope that he can at least be competent on defense one day. Uh, although, obviously, he was a train wreck on that end from, from what I watched. And he got beat off of a lot of backdoor cuts, a lot of the same things we get upset with Zach Levine for. But I think he's still worth the pick because he's six foot five. He's a big kid. As he fills out his frame, I think you could maybe play him, uh, you know, one through three if he really bulks up. But he definitely can play either of the guard spots. And I think he would really make Lowry Markin and, and Wendell Carter uh, really big threats to score the ball. And if you can make those two players really big threats to score the ball, I don't see any way the Bulls' offense is as bad as it was last year. And so if you improve the Bulls' offense even a little bit, I think you could seriously talk about the playoffs because, you know, the Bulls were a, you know, good defensive team. If you're talking strictly off of defensive rating and just looking at the numbers, obviously watching it, we saw the best teams could sort of beat that aggressive trapping strategy in the fourth quarter. But for the most part, you know, the Bulls were good on the defensive end of the floor and obviously they didn't play as many games as other teams, but I think they finished the regular season, I believe, with the 10th best defensive rating in the league. So it doesn't feel like it, but for all intents and purposes, you know, the Bulls had a top 10 defense. So if they can bring back, you know, a good defensive edge with a new head coach, and then you bring in a player like LaMelo who really can, as I said, make players like Wendell Carter and Lowry Markin and serious threats to score, can make Kobe White a little bit more efficient by getting him more catch-and-shoot opportunities, I think you would see the Bulls become uh, a winning team because, again, the defense is already pretty solid. So that offense was one of the bottom five in the league. If you can just really try to bring that up to anywhere uh, near sort of 14, 15, they would be much better for it. So I think he solves pretty much all of your main problems, at least on the offensive end of the floor. You're speaking my language because I've been saying on the last few episodes of the podcast that, you know, I think the Bulls are actually a lot closer than we think. And I think a, a, some fresh perspective from a head coach, definitely a, a fresh perspective from a front, a new front office, I think should help. And getting the most out of your core four and potentially if, if you do end up with like a LaMelo ball, I mean, I'm really then excited going into the summer of 2021 with some cap space. So if, if if that did happen, it would make me pretty excited. I have a couple other questions for you, Michael, before I let you go. Woj brought up on the broadcast during the lottery that there's a good chance that the Warriors might look to move out from that number two spot and, and use that draft pick as a way to get another player that's a little more experienced, a little more seasoned. If you are really high on LaMelo Ball, and it looks like Wiseman or Edwards ends up being the number one pick, if you were Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley, would you think about making a leap up two spots to draft a guy like LaMelo Ball, and what would you give up to get him? Uh, If I'm the Bulls, I absolutely uh, would be willing to leap up two spots uh, to get LaMelo Ball with the number two pick there. Uh, Golden State's an interesting team just because of their build. Um, Obviously, they have that veteran core, so they're more of a win-now roster. So when you look at the Bulls, it's not exactly easy, um, you know, to to make up sort of what would happen there. 
but I think you could look at something along the lines of you would be talking about the Bulls pick and maybe Otto Porter and possibly, you know, Levine or Markinen. And uh, I think at that point, you may be able to, to sort of get something done. But it's tough because I'm speaking at it from as a bowl sort of fan there. So even as I say that, I'm like, nah, I don't believe that could actually get it done. So I think you would probably have to give up uh, two of either Levine, Carter, or Markinen, and then potentially also Kobe White as well. And while two or three of those young players seemed like a high price to pay, depending on, you know, sort of how it shakes out and what Karnaschovas has planned for free agency, I think I would pull the trigger because basically just to make it simple, what I'm saying is I think the Bulls would be, you know, come out of that situation very, very well if they could end up with a core that's essentially, you know, LaMelo Ball, uh, Lowry Markinen, and Wendell Carter or LaMelo Ball, Zach Levine, you know, Wendell Carter. As long as you could try to have it to where some way you have LaMelo plus two of those core players, um, I, I think you would be better for it. And honestly, even if you had LaMelo and one of those guys, I think you'd be a lot better for it because I trust Karnaschovas to really fill out this roster with great role players and, and great sort of options there to come off the bench. So realistically, it would probably be Zach Levine who's going because as much as I want that personally to be the backcourt of the Bulls future, LaMelo Ball and Zach Levine, uh, keeping your defense anywhere near the top 10 with those two as your starting backcourt is going to be a very, very, very tall order. So if you trade Zach Levine uh, in that deal and then you sort of have, you know, LaMelo Ball with, like I said, Otto Porter, and then you have a lot of shooting and some maybe a defensive guy, next to him, even start Shaq Harrison maybe at that point. Um, I think you could make an interesting roster. Obviously, like I said, a lot of work would have to be done in free agency, but I would pull the trigger on a trade. I just don't see it happening because I can't see the Warriors uh, convincing themselves that they really need anything from the Bulls roster. Uh, I think the Bulls, where they should be looking, if it's at all possible or on the table, is trying to get a player like Ben Simmons from Philadelphia because, you know, we may see the Sixers flame out of the playoffs. And I actually think uh, Ben Simmons' future in the league is just playing at the power forward, but still having a lot of guard duties. And I would like an interesting lineup, a team, where, again, I'm getting way ahead of myself, but imagine if you could somehow have LaMelo Ball and Ben Simmons, and one of your playmakers is an excellent defender, and the other one's a great shooter, and then you surround them with sort of whatever you want, because you have a sort of versatile roster. So I think the Bulls the best thing about getting this number four pick is the Bulls have more options for where they want to go as we get closer to the draft than they've had in a long time. And that's mostly because we know now they have a front office that's willing to get creative and really think outside of the box when it comes to making deals. So I think you may see Karnaschovas talk to players who aren't happy in Chicago anymore. Like Thad Young may want to go regardless of who's the coach. So they could work out some sort of deal where maybe he's included with the trade. So I'm very excited for the Bulls. Um, my honest prediction, though, is that for them at least, I don't think there's going to be any sort of trade. I think the way it shakes out with those top three teams, you got D'Angelo Russell in Minnesota. You have Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier in Charlotte. You have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson in Golden mm. State. All three teams in front of the Bulls have really backcourt situations that for the most part 
are pretty locked up, even if you want to go further down the totem pole and talk about guys like Malik Beasley, who may be re-signed for a hefty price in Minnesota. So I think the path is clear for the Bulls to get one of the two best point guard prospects. And while I'm looking at my big board, um, I'm thinking just in terms of what the Bulls are realistically thinking. And I think they'll come out of draft night uh, with LaMelo Ball or Killian Hayes. And um, that's pretty much what I think for sure is going to happen on draft night. Well, that'll be a very interesting draft night if that's the case. I think that a lot of Bulls fans would be happy with with either one of those. And, you know, really, like, the wild card there is going to be the Warriors at number two. And I think that is going to – if they make a move with a team that's sitting, you know, below Chicago, I mean, that's where it could get interesting. I mean, I don't know if the Cavs, though, need another point guard, right? Like, that's just what they've been stockpiling the last few years. So I don't know yeah, if they're going to they want to move have up, a, They have a weird situation with an undersized backcourt themselves with Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, who are both, you know, I, I believe 6'3 or shorter. So they, it's going to be the Knicks, right? Guard. It's going to be the Knicks, right? <laughs> it feels like the, it would be the Knicks. You, you know, Fibs and Leon Rose, they're just going to give up the farm to try to get LaMelo Ball. I mean, that – so ESPN gets their wish after all of that, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, the Knicks give up literally everything on the roster to move up to number one. But uh, I wanted to say on Killian Hayes really quickly, just because I know the, the average fan probably knows so little, if anything, about him, I would definitely encourage all Bulls fans to definitely look him up. Uh, I believe mainstream sites, for the most part, are pretty high on him, so it shouldn't be that hard to, to find like, any highlights or anything, but – from what I've seen on Reddit and just on Twitter and, and generally Facebook and stuff, any Bulls fan who watches Killian Hayes highlights and end up coming out of it really liking him as a player. So I just want Bulls fans to definitely uh, make sure they look up some Killian Hayes highlights just because with all the international prospects, you know, we're not going to be worried about that this year because it'll most likely be a virtual draft. But with the international prospects, it's always a knee-jerk reaction for fans to complain regardless if they know the guy just because you assume it's a reach. But in this draft, Killian Hayes is without a doubt uh, one of the best passers, playmakers, and just overall players. And he's also a pretty strong kid, like I said, at 6'4", 6'5". So, um, like I said, on draft night, I am positive the Bulls will come out of that number four pick with LaMelo Ball or Killian Hayes. And it's going to be a really exciting night. So uh, now, like I said, I'm just going to be thinking about what they're going to do on draft night and then how that head coach search is going. Mm-hmm. It's it's amazing what happens when the dark cloud of Garpax is finally gone. You know, things just start looking up. Yeah, the basketball guys are smiling down on Chicago because, like I said, it's almost like too much good news all at once. Uh, sort of finally seeing the Bulls sort of remake their front office, move on from Jim Boylan, and now we got a top five pick in the draft. It's like everything is literally looking up Bulls right now. So definitely great to be a fan. Absolutely. And, and actually, one last question before I let you go, because I know we talked a little bit about it the last time you were on. Do you have a preference for who, who would be the next head coach of the Chicago Bulls? Yeah, so uh, right now um, it's, a, it's a lot of, like I said, great, great names out there. Uh, just because I do write about the Raptors and, you know, I, I cover the Raptors. Um, I know a lot about Adrian Griffin and at Bulls Confidential, we actually do have an article sort of about him playing with Karnaschovas in college, actually, at Seton Hall. And he's done mm-hmm. a great job on the defensive end of the floor with Toronto and winning a championship with Toronto. Um, but obviously I would be remiss not to mention, like I said, uh, I believe Adrian Griffin, he did have some recent uh, domestic abuse allegations come out from his ex-wife. So, 
you know, that's going to be handled regardless. But obviously, I just want to mention the Bulls, you know, should do their due diligence on researching his background yeah. um, and as any team should before deciding anything like that or even having an interview with him. But outside of Adrian Griffin, uh, I think I may have mentioned it earlier, but my favorite would definitely be Darvin Ham from Milwaukee. And again, just because he's a former player, and for the most part, I believe players love playing for guys that they know played in the league. And then also, he was playing with Giannis, and you know he's working on the staff in Milwaukee that we've seen has some of the best player development in the league. We saw young players like Dante DiVincenzo really step up and even perform well in the playoffs. So I really think Darvin Ham would be great for our player development. And then, like I said, Milwaukee is one of the best defensive teams in the league. So I think you would see the Bulls maybe ease up and be able to play some drop back coverage on the pick and roll on top of that blitzing style that we play now. So again, they would have options because it's something I wrote about last year, but the Bulls played defense one way last season. And because it was so unique, how much they pressured, it was almost like they were playing a different sport and they caught teams off guard. But I don't think you're going to be able to rely on that gimmick as much next season. So I think having a coach who's well-versed in some other defensive styles uh, will really go a long way for the young roster. Where can, just for people that maybe aren't familiar with your work, where can they they find your stuff and where can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, so uh, right now you can definitely find my stuff at Bulls Confidential, and that is BullsConf.com, so that's Bulls, C-O-N-F.com. Uh, right now we got a lot of great stuff up. we got some articles about Jim Boylan obviously being gone from my co-editor, uh, Jeffrey Clark. Uh, we also have some draft profiles going up. This is going to be sort of breaking down some of the players we talked about tonight. And while we only have a story up on Adrian Griffin, uh, because Darvin Ham of the Milwaukee Bucks uh, is my favorite guy for the head coaching search right now, we may have something a little bit about Darvin Ham also. But outside of Bulls Confidential, uh, go to my Twitter at Zen Master Mike. That's Zen Master Mike. Or you can look me up, Michael Walton, I-I. That's two capital I's for Michael Walton II. And uh, like I said, if you go to my Twitter at Zen Master Mike, you'll also find my Toronto Raptors work at Raptors Rapture. And uh, we're having a lot of fun right now. Like I said, Raptors are kicking some butt in the playoffs, and the Bulls have the number four pick and have that head coaching search. So, like I said, go ahead, follow me on Twitter at Master Mike, and let's have some fun as we get closer to the draft. All right, Michael, thanks so much. And again, we'll catch up closer to the draft. Appreciate it, Matt. Always a great time, and uh, excited to come back. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts.